0: Thank you.
1: flicks a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory i am one of your bloodthirsty maniacal hosts adam walker and joining me as always is the deranged sociopathic patrick mitchell hey pat i got a question for you right off the top go ahead since I last talked to you, since our last recording. Yeah. How many people have you murdered? <laughs> <laughs> well, two What is your body count? Too
2: many to count on okay. these two digits of these hands. Yeah. It's you
1: unfair. only have you only you only have two two fingers on <laughs> one of your hands? <laughs>
2: You can't see me. I'm holding up. I was like counting, and I just counted fucking two, and then I stopped. So yeah, that
1: that doesn't land when you're not looking at each other. It doesn't. We can't really do that anymore because Zoom sucks. There goes yeah. So any fucking joke,
2: we can't do anything visually anymore because we're not we're not looking at each other whatsoever.
1: Mm -hmm. But I can feel your presence. Yeah, I'm right here, baby. You're breathing heavily. (laughs) So in case you couldn't pick this all up, for those of you that are listening, this week uh, our theme is slashers. We're discussing a time-honored subgenre of the horror movies, uh, of horror movies, uh, the slasher flick. And this is one of those situations where... I feel like with each with each episode, you know, we keep having what would be a a more robust list of things that we have to kind of comb through. But with this situation, there's just such a overabundance, such a um, proliferation of these kind of movies that it's really, really hard to discuss, like to really distill it in whatever like an hour long episode that we have here. So this is going to be a very very abbreviated uh discussion of the overarching you know history of slashers because there's there's so fucking many and to be quite honest, a lot of them are fucking garbage. They they the the slasher genre kind of like it's boom coincided with the Upsurge of of home movies of the VHS boom, you know of, of rentals, where it became cheaper to make movies and also easier to distribute them uh, in large quantities. So that's why there is there is such an overabundance of them uh, that exist. Lots and of lots of bad. Of it, lots of bad. Most of it, obviously, in the eighties to the early nineties. So, yeah, so we don't, we we don't want to hear like,
2: oh, why didn't they talk about pieces? Or, fuck, they didn't mention Slumber Party Massacre 2. Like, all right. Well, I was going
1: to talk about those, though. <laughs> you <laughs> had,
2: you <laughs> had fucking pieces and Slumber Party Massacre 2?
1: Well, not, well, yeah, two, actually. Um, but yeah, for sure, pieces. Pieces is a good movie, <laughs>
2: pieces is great.
1: My the, my fucking point being, we're not going to be able to discuss all of it. No, that's the thing. So those those are two. It's funny that you mentioned those because they're, those are pretty classic slashers. However, I know for a fact, though, that we are not going to talk about. Let's see here. Where was it? It was called. I found one that I'd never seen before called like the Reykjavik Wailing Massacre. It just sounds like a documentary
2: so, on, on yeah. We're not gonna blubber retention,
1: right? So we're not gonna be probably touching upon the Reykjavik whaling massacre. That, but that's not gonna be on here,
2: geeks. Sorry.
1: That the the possibility is still there that we will. I mean, we already did. We already touched upon pieces and slumber party massacre too. Yeah, so you guys can't complain
2: because I already mentioned them off the top. So. There you go.
1: Now, whether yeah, w- whether we discuss them in depth, that's another question. There's, I feel, well, again, I think pieces is worthy of a gu- of a good pieces is really good. Discussion. I was
2: I was being facetious. I was just trying to think of two off the top of my head that I, I didn't yeah. mention in uh, my notes, and that I, I I could see somebody being like, why did they mention that?
1: Yeah, you know, like. We may not talk about Christmas Evil or New Year's Evil, other than that mention that I just made a yeah, both we'll of those. We'll save that for
2: our December series.
1: <laughs> there was another. I don't know. There was this. I I found a list of slasher movies. I just, you know, put in slashers. Like, well, yeah, we could name, slasher uh, movie we could name
2: hundreds. They're, they're, it's endless. They're, well, and they're mostly this, all this really bad.
1: Was, yeah, this list was like 3,000 movies. So. It's a lot of shit. I want to find the one though real quick to to talk about that had had something to do with like it had boobs in the title. Of course, like, you know, that's another thing about slasher movies is slasher movies not only are they known historically for being gratuitous in the violence and the gore, but also gratuitous in the nudity. So, it's like, you know, it's this perfect sadistic perverse melding of of um things that are would be deemed a- like uh, uh antisocial behavior sort of interests um in certain people and that's why it's such a it was at least at one point a very controversial uh genre subgenre for for uh, movie critics particularly our friends uh Siskel and Ebert I don't. They they didn't. I think maybe you know the only slasher movie that they gave any sort of worthy consideration was Halloween,
2: where they actually yeah. did like that movie. Well, that's because that's like but, the,
1: that's the most palatable slasher probably ever made. Like for instance, we will not talk about Zombinatrix, uh, a zombie dominatrix. Although I do want to see it, based off that, of that sounds- title
2: fucking awful yeah
1: there was one also that i saw that i hadn't heard of that was basically about this was a more recent movie that <coughs> the serial killer dressed up like don uh donald trump and killed uh immigrant ladies sure why not
2: that, sure, why i not? think that's just one of the new rambos <laughs> sounds like <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so yeah, so that's what I've got to say about it right off the top. What 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 do you have to say about slasher f- flicks?
2: I in my uh in my research I actually went to <laughs> I used myself as a source for this. So take that with oh. the greatest salt. Uh but um we've talked about this, you and I have talked about this before, but my senior thesis in college was on The Final Girl. And so I tried to look up mm-hmm. um uh, any remnants of research that I, I had done. Um, and I interestingly didn't even re- uh, remember making this connection, but in uh, there's part of my, uh, logic, um, or part of my dating for this, for this genre actually goes back to the movie M directed by, uh, Fritz Long, um, right. Starring Peter Lorre. it's, it's like the, one of the earliest examples that I cited of, um, being a slasher. It's like, it like predates film noir. Obviously it's like 1931, but it lays the groundwork for what slashers would become. Um, mainly it's a it's it's, it's a serial killer that kills that targets and kills children, mainly little girls. And, but he whistles, uh, this song, um, in the hall of the mountain King, um, And it's a it's a means of knowing that he is approaching or that that something is afoot because they actually use that song when he's off screen as a way of like uh, anticipating danger. And it's a it's a predecessor to like, you know, think of like fucking John Carpenter, like the Halloween theme, like all of these examples of a theme song driving uh, the presence of a killer. It's all laid out in M um, in a very mm. interesting way. So I thought I thought that was like one of the cooler things that I had found. And I actually completely forgot that I even made that connection. But I think you have like those kind of really early predecessors before you get to like peeping tom, like Michael Powell's Peeping Tom and Psycho, obviously, from and they're both yeah. both of which were released in 1960. And those those pretty much lay out a, a a framework that will be used repeatedly. Um, and it's not until like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974 and Halloween in 1978 that the birth of like the teen slasher is, is kind of comes to fruition. Um, so you kind of have these these movies throughout film history that have laid the groundwork. Basically from Texas Chainsaw and Halloween on, all of them follow... That formula, um, the formula of which is there's a killer. He's recognizably human. Uh, he's stalking young, <laughs> young people. Um, he never. He almost never uses a gun. It's always a visceral kind of phallic uh, weapon, usually like a, a knife mm-hmm. or a drill or you know a chainsaw, whatever. Um, and then there's always this theory of a final girl who is the sole survivor of the group who has the privilege of um, implied moral superiority like uh, for example she's she refuses sex and drugs and ab- abstains from certain behaviors and she's always the one at the end uh, that is confronting the villain whether or not she kills him herself or is the villain is killed by a police officer and, and she but she's always spared those are the the makings of the modern slasher, I would say.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad that you touched upon talking about Hitchcock because I feel like of any of the legendary directors of Hollywood of yore, he's the one that has, I think the most direct through line to what modern slashers became. Absolutely, um, And I, I would even take it back further to like, say, like the lodger or even if we wanted to go back even further with with um, the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which obviously wasn't Hitchcock. But, you know, so, yes, those are some, like you said, some early predecessors to the genre. And also, yes, that idea to, to dovetail uh, upon what you're talking about with the final girl that. The victims in a lot of these movies are somehow there's a, there's a moral bankruptcy to them or a lasciviousness. There's a debaucherousness where, you know, it's implied that they they got they got uh, what they deserved, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. And so, typically in a uh, they They're promiscuous. So sex always equals dead, like (laughs) in most most of these cases. Or they're they're just straight up sex workers, like in Maniac.
1: Right. Right. So, yeah. So there's a lot of implied uh, misogyny in the movies as well, which was for a lot of critics, again, going back to Ebert and Siskel, that was a big, big uh, bugaboo for them was what was considered the the saturation of misogyny in the genre that turned them off so much. But I feel like a, it's funny because it, in almost like a postmodern analysis of, of this, there's a lot of female movie critics that turn that on its head and just – and we've had this discussion too in, in this podcast before where – It's like that moral high roading virtue signally type of shit. Like, it's almost like it kind of backfires on guys like that because it's just like, well, maybe you guys have some shit in your closet. And, you know, you just, you know, that's why you got to stick up your ass about it. Yeah. So anyways, and you know, you can go on and on about how, you know, yes, there is the misogynist aspect, but then there is. If you wanted to get real weird, like there's the kink aspect of these type of movies that, you know, some people find as a turn on. You know, there's there's obviously there's there's a history of a connection between women that desire serial killers, you know, women writing to actual serial killers, you know, that are in prison and wanting to marry them and things like that. So, you know, you can go down that road as well. But anyways, so that all being said, would you like to proceed uh forward into breaking down what we have for these particular episodes uh discussed uh with our our uh, our discussion is uh what we're going to talk about is the good movies that we like in this show, sub sub genre, excuse me, um the bad ones and then we're going to pick a best. So do you want to proceed forward? Let's do it. So here we go. So, you know, there's a lot of good that we could talk about as as we did with the last episode. But, you know, we're going to have to really, really, you know, really whittle it down. So I'm going to leave it up to you to kick it off with some of your goods in the slasher genre.
2: Um. So I, I basically came up with... Uh, <laughs> Four different groups of movies as uh, the easiest way to come up to discuss this, one of which is actually a singular movie. And the other, the other three um, goods that I have are groups of movies. But the singular movie that I had to um, offer up is actually rather unorthodox, because I don't know if a lot of people necessarily view it as a slasher. But um, I recently rewatched it over the weekend again, and it's It Follows. From 2014, mm. uh, directed by David Robert Mitchell, it's unchar- uncharacteristic of like a traditional slasher because the the face is, of the killer is constantly changing. Um, so it's it's not a. I guess it it goes against that idea that it the killer has to be human in form, even though the killer is taking human form, but it's it's clearly like a shapeshifter but the it's really pointedly centered around punishing sexual activity. That is like the Lynch of the film where that's kind of where I see it as a slasher because literally anyone, this, this killer is spread by um, teenagers having sex with one another. And if you're the last one to have had sex you are at the top of the the kill list have you see have you seen it follows i would assume so right
1: yeah so yes and no um i actually started watching it a long time ago i didn't i didn't see it right when it came out and i fell asleep while i was watching wow. it and, and and this this had, but this this in no way reflects on the movie okay. itself I, I, I think i just was i just was tired or whatever. I was a sleepy boy. So I watched, I watched most of it and then I fell asleep and it was one of those things where I was like, Oh, I'll go back to watching the rest of this. And I never did. Um, It's funny that you bring that movie up because uh, Charlotte and I, my partner, Charlotte and I, we were having a discussion recently where she was like asking me, Hey, has there ever been a horror movie that you've been genuinely frightened of? And I'm not saying this to claim that I'm in any way a you know, a tough guy or anything like that. Anything. No, babe. this No, just, I ain't scared of nothing. <laughs> if response. anything, it just, <laughs> right. If anything, it just implies that I'm dead inside. I
2: can see that.
1: Yeah. I, I was trying to really scan my memories of a time where I watched a horror movie, even cause I started watching horror movies when I was pretty young. Um Maybe not as young as some people, but I was like, I don't know, like seven or eight. Um, and I honestly don't remember ever like really being frightened of, you know, a horror movie. There's m- movies that convey terror and unease and things like that that I pick up on, but, but there's never, there's never really been a movie where I've just been like, oh my God, like, you know, like I gotta leave the lights on or anything like that that I can remember. So, but she was saying that that movie. It Follows is one of those movies that does that for her. Oh, my God. It genuinely yeah. terrifies her and, and you know, compels her to almost want to leave the lights on and things like that. So and I have yeah. like
2: lots of people whenever I talk about that, movie, lots of people message me and are like like that. Yeah, it's a uh, when you're alone, you like go downstairs uh, to get like a glass of water in the middle of the night. You're like. You start fucking jogging up the stairs <laughs> like insipidly. Like <laughs> it is uh it's an insidious movie, mainly because it uses this idea of the other being the killer. So you don't you don't know who the killer is. It can take the form yeah. of anybody. It could be a family member or a friend or an old lady on the side of the road or a homeless person or a teacher, like so you don't know that you're about to die. until Mm -hmm. it's like too late the only um the only assistance that you get is that nobody else can see what's coming after you so if you're like hey do you see do you see this old woman out here and everyone's like no then you know that that it's the entity that's coming for you that's like your only reprieve from it it is it's uh it is like suffocatingly scary it's very claustrophobic
1: would you say, though, that it follows almost – it has a supernatural aspect to it, though?
2: With a, But it's unexplained. That's right. the best part of it. They don't say that it's – there's no explanation whatsoever. All you know is that people pass it along by having sex. And so mm. if you're the person that had – like somebody passed it to you by having sex with you, now you are t- like, quote, unquote, it. Now you are mm-hmm. on the top of the shit list unless you can have sex with somebody else and pass it on. But once that person then dies, you're you're back on the docket. It's like a cue of death, like you're on the queue and you can bump yourself down on the queue. But once this thing gets through whoever's in front of you, you're you're still next. So it's like perpetually coming for you. And in that respect it's like a michael myers where it's like why we can't fucking kill this guy he's like perpetually coming and that's it's like the same right. aspect
1: right and i would argue that halloween too has that almost supernatural aspect to it in fact that 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 idea was somewhat extrapolated upon with with the subsequent um sequels but yes
2: right it's similar. Um, Similar. And but you never get like a tentacle or like you don't see it like shifting forms. It's always a it's always takes human form. So I guess it fits in that category. But um yeah, I don't want to talk about it, it follows uh this whole pod. What do you got?
1: So I'm gonna talk about this movie because I just I just actually watched it and incidentally I don't want a poser alert alarm to go off because poser, poser I know I know this is a movie that is quintessential slasher viewing for a lot of people that are really are balls deep in this, but I had actually never, I had actually never, and that's non-gender specific balls, (laughs) lady balls, transgender balls, male balls. Um, But, um, blood diner. Have you seen blood? Diner? I own it.
2: Yes. It's great.
1: (laughs) So, You know, it, it, again, I'm it's a movie sure that's that I've quintessential,
2: always re- though. I feel like that's not on a lot of people's radars.
1: Did I say it was quintessential? I didn't. I didn't. No, oh, I feel like I, said I it was quintessential viewing. Oh, well, no, I think for some people, but I, I'm not necessarily saying for myself, but I think for 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 the diehard head, yeah, I'm saying
2: fuck those people because it's that okay. That's well, got to be that's that's a rough. That's a that's a one that that you need to track down by knowing a guy who knows a guy. Right,
0: well, it
1: rules. It's great. It's just it was so gonzo batshit over the top, you know. And I just didn't expect it to be that that nutty of a movie, but still, you know, it's 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 a funny nutty movie, but it's you know, it's not. You don't get turned off by it being kind of like you know a black comedy having that comedic aspect to it. And just even reading about the making of it and the fact that it was made in like three weeks. And there was just all this shit going wrong on set. And it was just a a real, it was a horror show unto itself. Um, Getting it completed was also pretty funny to me. But um, for those of you that don't know the premise of it, uh, Blood Diner is about these two brothers that they dig up their long dead psychotic uncle in order to finish what was his project that he was trying to initiate before he was gunned down for being a psychopath, essentially, to resurrect this five million year old goddess <laughs> named Sheetar. I think that's Sheetar, what it was. Yeah. shitar And so they run a diner by themselves. It's just these two brothers that run what seems to be a pretty popular L.A. Health food diner and and the the diner is supposed to be vegetarian but the twist is their food is all made of humans essentially and 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 none of their patrons are are the wiser um and so they embark upon this project after they've they've dug up their long dead uncle and extracted his brain and attached like a um a speaker to his brain <laughs> and his eyeballs and his penis so it's it's also his penis noises. <laughs> that are they put all in a jar of formaldehyde, and he's alive. They they spring his consciousness forward from you know whatever from death, and and he basically he uh, he instructs them on uh, getting their victims and following through with the ritual to to resurrect shitar for um, global domination, and and the wacky hijinks ensue, see. which included. <laughs> One of my favorite parts was when they take the ladies home from what's supposed to be, I guess, a gay bar. It's like a weird, like, new wave gay bar. Yeah. And they take these two women home, and <laughs> the one brother sticks the lady's head, like, slathers her with batter and, and deep fries her yeah, head. So good. Turns her, her head into a, a deep fried batter ball. That's so and then, good. Uh, yeah. So that's just like one of the things, but. Anyways, I was glad that I was finally able to see it because it was pretty enjoyable.
2: And so the connection put that in my is that it was originally, I don't know if you remember, but it's,
1: it's... It was supposed to be a sequel to Blood Feast. Right,
2: because the, um, yeah. there's the sacrifices being made in Blood Feast are to Ishtar. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, and this was like <laughs> they, they event- i for whatever reason, they decided to have it be a standalone movie, but yeah. oh, there's uh-huh. a bunch of connections to the Herschel Gordon Lewis movie from like that predates it by 20 years, but the Egyptian yeah. goddess and all that. they basically just changed the fucking name around. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. It's really fucking weird. Um, yeah, that's a good one. That's a, which I, I found out.
1: Yeah. And I found out through doing the research on this episode that there actually was a quote unquote blood feast 2 That was released way later. Oh, no, that I've shit. never seen Oh God. Yeah. Like it was released in the early 2000s, I but I've just never seen this it. Blood feast too who gives a shit yeah
2: like whatever that's that's
1: weird yeah that they ended up doing a sequel anyway <laughs> right so that's mine for that for the, for this round what do you got
2: um so beginning the lumping of some of these movies together i wanted to just put like an argento lump of deep red uh tenebre and opera together yeah just cuz mm-hmm. it's like his run of fucking giallo you know, Italian slashers or whatever. Uh,
1: I would say it's his run of his better uh, better known. Yes.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So Deep yeah. Red 75, uh, Tenebrae is 82, Opera is 87. Um, I watched, I hadn't actually seen Deep Red. I have owned Deep Red forever and just like never watched it. And I watched it this afternoon. It was delightful. I loved it. Um, but my, actually, my favorite of these three is actually Opera. I think Opera's is is the best and that's the one i actually wanted to talk about but um i think just specifically that scene where the seamstress has her her throat cut open so the killer can like get the bracelet out because she's like choking on it or whatever when he's like mm-hmm. when i think of like shit that makes my skin crawl him like forcing scissors past her teeth like makes <laughs> my it like it is uh a visceral reaction like the clanging of the like steel against her teeth as he's like just trying to fucking force the blade in between is so fucking good it's it's so good and nothing actually you're not like busting her teeth fucking out or anything like that it's just like the just like a gross out like nails on chalkboard moment um meanwhile you got the like uh the the actress or whatever who is watching with the needles taped under her eyelids, that just the whole sequence is is uh, beautifully Argento and, like, uniquely a slasher that you just won't see in any, like, conceptually in any other movie.
1: Yeah. Um, we kind of touched upon this a little bit when we talked about phenomena, that the use of scissors is an often often repeated trope with Giallo, but also, you know, specifically Argento in general. Um, Of those three, my favorite is definitely deep red. I would actually put deep red in currently because it's, it shifts a little bit over time per discussion last time about how Inferno is becoming like one of my, you know, more favorite Argento movies, but deep red is also up there as well. I would say at this point in my life, phenomena, Inferno and Deep, Deep Red are my three favorite Argentos. I think sure. the
2: second hour of Deep Red is some of the best Argento, but there's so much exposition. I mean, there is the mm-hmm. one, the you, you have the murder of the psychic to like begin the movie basically. And there's nothing for the first hour, nothing, <laughs> nothing like kill wise. There's no more murders right. for the first hour. It's a lot of exposition it's the fucking pianist kinda like trying to trying to figure out trying to crack this case and his relationship with the with with the photographer lady and it you know it kind of drags a little bit, but then you you hit that second half of deep red is fucking just killer it it's got some of his yeah. most like imaginative not imaginative in terms of like the way they die, but imaginative in from a filmmaking perspective. Um, the woman yeah. that writes the children's books, it, where like, yeah. she gets drowned in the bathtub, which isn't like, like what a great, what an imaginative kill. But the the setup to it is so haunting. Like he films it just spectacularly. It's some of his best cinematography, probably of of any of any shit he does outside of like Suspiria, probably.
1: Yeah, um, I was gonna ask, have you seen? Uh, four flies on gray velvet or cat and nine tails no no so so those were two of his giallos prior to deep red but they're in, in certain ways they're they're really good movies but they're in certain ways a little bit more pedestrian giallos more standard deep red was definitely where he had taken the giallo sort of template and reformulated it you know to be what, what was a signature kind of Argento style in terms of he was working like his way cinematography. Way. Yeah. So, but I would give those, I would give those a, a cat of nine tails is a little eh mad, but four flies on gray velvet. Oh, and then also the bird with a crystal plumage forgot about that. So those are like the three running up to deep red. I actually really like uh bird with the crystal plumage. So, if you get a
2: chance, You'll check out I'm always well, looking to check out uh, more Argento.
1: Yeah, I love Deep Red. The 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 creepy the creepy doll scene in that, mm-hmm. like
2: fantastic.
1: Is is one of my favorite moments in a movie. It's great. Cuz it's just so again, it's just gonzo like from out of nowhere like what the fuck. And like those are those sort of twists in Argento that's surreality that he inserts in his movies that sets you know aside from like the lighting and everything else it really sets him apart from other italian directors trying to do the same thing because a lot of them you know aside from like you know baba and fulci you know i feel like they're just kind of like really treading the same kind of ground but that's what really sets him apart is things like that yeah absolutely so. agree so on that note, then, I'm going to talk about another movie. I feel like this is a good opportunity for me to talk about movies that I've wanted to see that I just recently saw. And not again, not necessarily because I wanted to discuss them for the podcast, mm-hmm. but because, you know, just doing my thing, watching horror movies like I do. And uh, on the subject of Giallos, I recently watched Dress to Kill. Have you seen that?
2: Um, The Brian De Palma movie?
1: Yeah, yes. I'd never seen
2: it before, dude. Dress to so, Kill. Um, like, I, don't, I don't know how to put this. It makes me the <laughs> horniest I've ever been in my life.
1: <laughs> it is a horny movie. It is like it's a very, it's a very horny movie it's for sure.
2: Like, it, and I, I, it's like, hey, are you attractive to older, attracted to older women? And I'm like, nah, not really. And he, and Brian De Palma's like, well, I'll fucking tuck your boner into your waistband. <laughs> Uh, I didn't know uh, uh, I was until I watched that movie. It's like uh, taking Sharon Stone from Fatal Attraction and just like – or not Fatal Attraction. uh, Fucking uh, – god damn it. (laughs) All right. Do a pause break here. Basic (laughs) instinct. God damn. (laughs) Taking Sharon Stone out of basic instinct and just like putting her in a different scenario. But yes, go ahead. I fucking love that movie.
1: Yeah, it was actually a pretty big surprise to me, and that's, to me, that's one of the few examples, definitely, of the era of a notable, well-established American director taking the Giallo formula and making it, you know, adapting it to, you know, an American market, Um but yeah, for sure. Like, Angie, like the Angie Dickinson body double part is it like right off the top. It's like, yeah, it gets real, real sexual. Um, and even like uh, Nancy Allen's in it, which it's funny. Like when I see Nancy Allen in these early movies, she was also in Carrie because mm-hmm. um, she was married to De Palma. Um, but for me, like Nancy Allen is forever like associated with uh lois from robocop <laughs> so you know and like i've never in my whole life ever thought that that character was like attractive like i'm not attracted to her She, she's you know for whatever reason but then when you see her in these older movies especially this movie where she's like you know she's supposed to be sexy it's kind of like this weird i uh, have this weird kind of like cognitive dissonance i guess about it um but yeah um uh and i wouldn't i guess i would have picked up on the twist but i kind of i i unfortunately like spoiled it early on because i was imdbing about the movie no, and do then that i sometimes. just like sometimes when
2: i get really excited about a movie i'm just like wanting to research it while i'm watching it yeah sometimes that backfires and,
1: well it wasn't even like intentional i was like looking at photos and there was a still of of the killer and nancy allen and it said Should I, I mean, whatever, fuck it. We've done spoilers on this before, but spoiler alert. Um, Yeah. So it shows the killer.
2: Or fast forward like 10
1: seconds. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it shows the still of the killer, which is supposed to be a woman chasing Nancy Allen. But then it has the tagged photos and it says Michael K. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I already knew what the ending was. (laughs) That'll fucking do it. But if you're looking to get like,
2: like, get horny, pop that fucking thing in.
1: Yeah, and it's got a cross dressing Michael Caine in it. Who and there's nothing who, that you who doesn't want yeah, that? There's
2: so much good in it. And it's his follow-up to Carrie. Uh we don't talk about Brian De Palma enough. Um, but he's all over the fucking board uh cinematically. Like if you just think about his Oh yeah you um, if you think about that that we 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 always talk about trifectas on the normal pod that we do. Uh mm-hmm. the episodic pod. Um but Carrie dressed to kill in Scarface back to back to back. Uh, try to fuck with that with anybody else. That's like
1: yeah, we've that's fucking we crazy. For sh- we for sure will definitely have to talk about De Palma in more depth. Um, the one thing I will say about this, and we kind of saw this coming as we were watching it, was the um, <laughs> the inevitable transphobia that's kind of present in the movie, which. You kind of got to take that as a given with certain movies of a certain era. Like you know, you're going to have certain demographics that are not represented. You know, yeah, in the best light. This is 1980.
2: So, I mean,
1: yeah. So there's that, and also there's the there's the scene in the subway uh, in the subway uh, station where you know the 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 black youth are not particularly portrayed in a favor favorable light as well. So, you know, as far as any sort of, you know, criticisms people may have, uh, from a more contemporary perspective, not, not criticizing like technique or anything like that, but just the way certain people are portrayed, those are some things that didn't age well, but overall, I thought it was a pretty good movie and, you know, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely, um, it's got a lot of good, um, captivating aspects to it that you know keep you glued to the to the movie. So I wanted to throw that one in there too, since I just saw that as well. That's fucking
2: great. Well, this is actually a perfect segue. So, um, so Dennis Franz plays a detective in uh, *Dressed to Kill*.
1: Um, right. He, he yeah, he basically plays the same guy he's always been in everything.
2: Yes, he basically <laughs> plays uh, uh, Sipowitz. Yeah, yeah, he's Sipowicz and yeah. everything, except for what I'm about <laughs> yeah. to talk about, which is okay. not just Psycho, but I'm including Psycho in this discussion. But for people that don't know, there are three sequels. So there's four Psycho movies. Psycho four at yes. the beginning is total trash. Don't even it's it's fucking garbage. I've never seen it. But Psycho two and three are fucking are- awesome.
1: Yeah, dude. Psycho two, I man, yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up, but I think that Psycho two actually is a really great movie.
2: Psycho two is a am- Psycho three is directed by Anthony Perkins, and Anthony Perkins reprises his role as Norman Bates in all of them. But uh, yeah. Psycho three, he's given the reins to direct, and I actually think he does it an excellent job. Two is two is better than three, and three is exponentially better than four because four is just. Four is just a recap It's like a it's like okay. a fucking clip show It's not even worth watching It's like The Hills Have oh. Eyes 2 Where it's like why is this right. the, the, the dog is dreaming about the shit that happened in the first movie Like what <laughs> the fuck is this shit But yeah. two uh, Dennis Franz is in two He actually takes over the Bates Motel While uh while Anthony Bates is, uh, it, Norman Bates is in um In prison or the psych ward Or whatever and he plays like a dickhead yeah. Who who like uses the motel to deal drugs and stuff. And obviously Norman is like released on good behavior or like, or quote unquote is cured or whatever. And obviously takes great yeah. umbrage with his precious motel being used to peddle drugs and, uh, illicit activity and all that. Um, but if you did not know, go watch the psycho sequels. Um, I fucking love Meg Tilly so much. Uh, she yes, is so do I. at that point in time the most attractive Tilly and it has, it has changed Meg Tilly. Uh, unfortunately time has not been kind to Meg Tilly, but Meg Tilly is gorgeous. Babin, Babin out of control in Psycho two yeah. So she's just phenomenal. Um, but yes, those, I just wanted to mention the psycho sequels and there was funny that we mentioned a Dennis Franz movie.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic that you mentioned that because, uh, Psycho Two, if memory serves me correctly, I actually saw Psycho Two before I saw the first Psycho. Wow, when I was real. I was real young. Yeah, yeah. And scenes from that movie were in, indelibly burned into my mind. Dennis Franz's oh. ki- uh,
2: murder scene is fucking great. It's special effects wise is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, and. I always I always remember before, you know before I rewatched I actually rewatched it pretty recently cuz I don't think Charlotte had seen it so I wanted her to see it but um um the scene where cuz Meg Tilly again spoilers here Meg Tilly is impersonating uh Norman Bates' mother. It's essentially there's there's a plot between Meg Tilly and Meg Tilly's mother to enact revenge on Norman Bates because what was it? Um he he murdered her her aunt slash the mother's sister, right? That's what it yes. was. Yeah. They were they were, so the 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 aunt and her her partner, her husband, were Norman Bates's previous victims. So upon finding out that Norman Bates was gonna be released on for good behavior they hatched this plan to essentially um to essentially frame him that he was murdering people again so the twist is you know you see this woman at the top of the steps that's dressed like Norman Bates's mother and Norman Bates is there so that kind of like triggers that, him that that triggers him but it also proves you know, to the audience that, you know, in, in the previous movies, he was portraying his mother. He was dressing up his right. mother and murdering his victims. But this kind of vindicates him that, oh, well, maybe, you know, his mother was alive. Whatever. Like, you don't know at that point. But that visual of the silhouette, the silhouette of Meg Tilly in um, Norman Bates's mom's get up. Uh, clothing, yeah. that always stuck with me. And the other thing that also stuck with me was when you find Meg Tilly's mom when they find her buried under like the coal and the rocks (laughs) in the basement yeah that was always super disturbing to me so um oh yeah yeah and then of course the very ending where the woman who worked at the diner with him comes to his house and says that he that she's actually his real mother and and he was he was given over for adoption to what he thought was his mother. So, like, there's a lot of these convoluted, you know, plot points, essentially, throughout the movie. And then, you know, and then he murders her, which, so you don't know, for like, what's going on at that point. It's like, well, was that woman actually his mother? Or was she also psychotic? You know, anyways. But there's enough, you know, twists and interesting, like, plot turns to it that, like, you know, it makes it a really, really good sequel so and
2: that's such an iconic Hollywood backlot set. It's just like so it's yeah. so cool to see it uh well it, so it well first of all it's so cool to see it in color cuz obviously Hitchcock purposely made the first one in black and white uh when color was right. actually available um but it's it's uh it's a different feel in color but it that it's such a great iconic Hollywood backlot set. I fucking love that set.
1: Yeah, so, well, we should probably move on a little bit here, but the last movie I wanted to talk about for my goods was uh, off the mic. I had brought up a certain uh, short circuit, (laughs) and uh, the reason why I said that I would probably talk about that movie in here is because I wanted to bring up a movie called The Burning. Have you heard of this or watched it? (sighs)
2: This is a this is I don't know how I accumulate uh, movies like this, Um, but I own the burning and I've never watched it. I like buy things on a whim because I think the art is cool. So that's where I'm at Mm -hmm. with the burning. I know nothing about it. I know I own it.
1: Well, I would. Yeah. Do yourself a favor and watch it, because this is another one of those movies that really actually pretty surprised me when I watched it that I didn't think it was going to be that great. And it turned out to be actually a really, really good movie. But basically the funny thing about the burning is the premise is almost identical to movies like Friday the 13th and sleepaway camp. It's, it's another
2: very Friday the 13th.
1: Yeah. So it's another teenage camp movie where there's, um, a murderer on the loose that's killing all the all the, the the campers um but the setup for the story is that ge- like a generation prior to what would be the modern uh time in in the movie some young camp counselors all played a prank on a caretaker He's like this shitty, like drunken like care- caretaker. They played a prank on him and it goes awry and he um he burns to death essentially. Or he like catches on fire and then he jumps into the water and then they never see him again. So decades later, murders start happening at this camp. And the uh the camp counselors that are older um were it turns out were the ones that set this guy on fire. This is so, like a cross
2: between Nightmare and Elm Street and Friday the thirteenth. Right.
1: Yeah. So there yeah, there's a lot of like there's a there's a lot of like themes interwoven in this movie that you will find in other better known slashers. Um so <laughs> anyways, so basically like, you know, yes, like this guy, he comes back to wreak his revenge and the the wacky hijinks ensue. The reason why I bring up uh, Short Circuit is because one of the campers in the movie is the guy who plays Ben in Short Circuit who you know we're led to believe in Short Circuit that the guy is Indian but he's actually a white actor but like no surprise it's that there. actor yeah it's that actor when he was like pretty young plays one of the campers also forgot to mention this mo- this movie is also notable for being the first movie that Jason Alexander was in. So you oh see a very God. young Jason Take Alexander. <laughs> so you got those two going, those two things going for you. Um, also, the premise of the movie is based off of an actual urban legend uh, that has circulated in upstate New York for years about Cropsey. So oh, the murderer yeah, in the yeah. movie is a guy named Cropsey that was an actual like urban legend. So this movie is basically you know... It's it's using that as its premise is the Cropsey myth. But also the real funny thing about this is this movie came out um, right before or somehow coincided pretty closely with Friday the 13th. And it's like almost the same premise in a lot of ways. But like it was one of those things. It's like when we were talking about Near Dark, where this movie came out pretty much the same time but like the one movie just like lucked out and got to be more popular that's
2: that's even wilder yeah cuz i see here that they're they're both like 1981
1: right yeah so this movie came out like right before or the script the script was written before Friday the 13th ever came out I think it's
2: 1980 right that's what I thought
1: yeah so that's what it was so you know a lot of people would want to write it off as just being you know a copycat when in fact like this movie was written before Friday the 13th and just didn't get released yeah because if you would just look at
2: the years you'd be like oh look at this copycat bullshit (laughs) one year later yeah
1: so anyways so that's that's the burning I wanted to make mention of that Great, let's move on to our bad
0: I'm not sleepy Put me in my chair
2: Yes, mother
1: Now, turn me to the window I want to keep my eyes on you Make sure you don't start playing with filthy girls again Yes, mother Good Well, what are you gawking at? Go downstairs and open the motel. What do you expect us to live on, Hope?
2: No, Mother. Remember, Norman, I'm the only one who loves you. Only your mother truly
1: loves you. (laughs) This is one of those things where it's like, well, where do you start? (laughs) Because, again, there's an overabundance of bad. But I came up with a what I think to be a clever way of talking about this. But okay, <laughs> you can go first if you'd like. I mean, I'm not going to talk about any particular movie in particular. This is how I'm going to discuss this. Is I feel like any more contemporary, basically in the past 20 years, post 9/11, let's say, for historical sake, any reboot or or. Sequel or readaptation of any well-known slashers, I think sucks. I just I don't like it. There's like a few exceptions, but like usually, like I think it's garbage, and I and and I don't know what it is. Like I know I've I've discussed on here. I do have a certain prejudice towards more modern horror. I try to shake it. It's not that I don't like modern horror. There's plenty of good stuff that comes out all the time, but there is this sort of like taint. That it has to me where it's like I'm usually more reluctant to watch a new horror movie than I am one that came out in the 80s or the 70s. Like I'll watch any fucking schlock that came out during that period anytime. Like I won't even think about it. Like I'll just put it on before. Like I'm always hesitant to watch more modern horror. Like it's got to be vetted a little bit more for me. So I just kind of will lump that all Together, Like any, the, like the the exceptions, the very rare exceptions I will make to this rule is I actually did like the remake of The Hills Have Eyes and I really, really like the remake of Maniac. So that's, that's my bad.
2: You are a boomer <laughs> in that way. Uh, you, <laughs> But I'm here to tell you that you're not wrong. Because uh, I'm more of like, you're a little bit country, I'm a little bit rock and roll, like... Okay. I like, I like all the new shit. I love modern yeah. horror a lot actually. But I'm here to say that that uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot fucking sucks ass. The fucking newest Nightmare on Elm uh uh, uh the newest Friday the 13th fucking sucks my fucking balls. Um all yeah. of, like the goddamn fucking well, Hellraiser sucked forever. Uh so yeah, I'm no, I'm here to say oh. that all of those reconceptions Outside of Mm -hmm. what I'm saving for my best, Uh, Mm -hmm. so a little tease there, my my, my best category is the only example of which that is still going great.
1: Well, I was going to say I will – I will actually – I'll drop drop the hammer on one specific movie in particular, actually, since we are having this discussion, and I know – I feel like you're gonna you're gonna know what I'm gonna bring up because I brought it up before. Anybody that knows me well knows I have a visceral, deep seated hatred for this. But the fucking Rob Zombie remake of Halloween <laughs> is one of the worst pieces of shit ever. Fucking. Oh,
2: here we go. We got old man Adam talking about Rob Zombie <laughs> again.
1: I'm fucking. I'm I'm the old man screaming at the fucking cloud with this one. But if I have to – if I have to – if you put a gun in my head and I have to pick one right now, that piece of shit can fuck off. So there you go. There's my bad.
2: Well, I'm here to say that you're not also not wrong about that. So <laughs> <laughs> um, my bad is I took the big three and I wanted to touch upon the worst movies in the Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween franchises. So – okay. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy's dead. Final Nightmare, the sixth installment, easily the fucking worst. Just a total fucking slug piece of shit. And it's like the, <laughs> I, the it's like the very definition of a franchise that's like no gas left in the tank, and they don't know what the fucking do. So they're like, well, let's kill Freddy off and give him a daughter. Like conceptually, it's a, a fucking nightmare. That the kills aren't even that cool. Like I, I think I just remember like him running his claw hand across a chalkboard until like a kid's head explodes and then there's like the other little fucker that's in the video game and and
1: the video game one's great <laughs> yeah, I one love sucks. that
2: one. The whole thing <laughs> sucks. Uh, uh, so that one is easily the worst nightmare on Elm Street. Um in terms of Halloween Halloween resurrection uh the it, it's the eighth one eighth installment the webcam <laughs> reality show premise um oh, yeah. they end up killing Lori Strodoff in the in the very beginning of the movie. So that like it's another classic example, just like now we're on Elm Street, where they're like, they don't know what to do, so they'll just kill a main character to make people care. That's just, like not how you make yeah. people care. And consequently, it's also the second time that they've killed Lori Strodoff in that series alone. So that's fucking whack <laughs> and weird. Um, <laughs> uh, so but anyway. Tyra Banks can't act. Uh it, it, the whole thing is just is just awful. Um the difference between the two times Laurie Strode gets killed off, though, is in um is in four and five, uh when they introduce Daniel Harris's character, they just mention off-camera that Laurie Strode died in a car accident. So she's killed off off-camera and then brought back in H2O. And it's, it's said that she faked her death and changed her name, which makes sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of confusing yeah. shit going on in the Halloween franchise, but Resurrection <laughs> sucks. Uh, Friday 13th, this was a little harder to nail down because all the Friday the ths are, are somewhat fun to some degree. Yeah. But the new right. blood is fucking horrendous. Um, and the only thing I could think, I looked up a quote, which is fucking so good. Um, one of the executive producers and a screenwriter were like batting around ideas for what, a new fr- uh, a, a new Friday the 13th. And he, this one guy came up with a concept that's like, there's always a teenage girl who's left to battle Jason by herself. What if the girl had telekinetic powers? Like we could call it like Jason versus Carrie. That's a fucking quote. It's a fucking quote. <laughs> this fucking asshole came up with this Jason versus Carrie idea. And then they conceptually ran with it. Um And a lot of it is like the backstory of how the girl is like has telekinetic powers and oh fuck it's a slug and a piece of shit. <laughs> um, so those are the three worst movies in those franchises, not including any of the reboot or remakes that we have uh, aforementioned.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's almost like I kind of don't even want to, you know, and I mean, we, we just kind of already proven that, that, it's almost not worth talking about the reboots. So yeah, it's good to just except for the, the Halloween original.
2: reboots, the, the, not the Rob right. zombie ones, but the, 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 right. newer ones Halloween kills, which is about to come out. Um, those fucking rip, but well, the first yeah. one ripped and I, and I have high hopes for that second one.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So that's our bad out of the way. Now we're going to, we're going to, we're going to nail down, with a with a a kitchen knife through the mouth into the door our best book oh, of the genre so i'm going to leave it up to you again what is your best so
2: as i mentioned earlier in the discussion of the bad and how these franchises fucking run their course and then get picked up and get rebooted since childhood my favorite uh slasher movie is the child's play franchise. Um it scared the living shit out of me as a kid. Uh my dad would perpetually fucking haunt me with shit, like scurrying across <laughs> my fucking door. So I just saw like a shadow of something run across my door and shit and doing that like cackling uh laugh and <laughs> shit just like leave me up at night. Like that Brad he had that Brad Dorf impression down.
1: That is pretty sadistic.
2: <laughs> he loved it. Um, but those, memory, the, those memories of watching the original Charles Play and 2 and 3 on fucking repeat on USA and then being scared in my own house in the middle of the day is just like so palpable still. Um, but then they've gone and just kept making great movies. I mean, Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, whatever. I, I mean, you either like them or you don't. I think they're super fucking fun. Um and see if Chucky has like the Glenn and Glenda thing, which I think is super smart and fun if you're like a, a film person.
1: Um Well, and also to uh bring up uh the Tillies once yes, again. Yes,
2: and to wrap it back around to Meg Tilly, my boo thing, Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> yeah, That's her mark on it as well and is very prevalent in all the all the newer ones. Um the Curse, of, the Curse of Chucky, which is one of the newer ones, which was direct-to-video, was fucking awesome. And it has Brad Dwarf's daughter in it. It's just so much fun. I will say that the one that came after that, Cult of Chucky, Cult of Chucky kind of sucks. I, I was not into it. But then, then, just when I thought I was out, they wrote me back in and then they do a Child's Play remake. And it's fucking awesome. It's so much fun. It's just a fun fucking movie. It's everything a remake should be. It's like updated for a current generation but like aubrey plaza's in it and it's just fucking great mark hamill plays chucky mark hamill is the voice of chucky like as soon as it was like brad Dorf is not in it i was like i'm fucking out and they're like mark hamill's gonna be chucky and i was like i'm back in you motherfuckers you keep roping me back in um so yeah i i it's an unorthodox pick because i think people have a lot of feelings about child's play and how it's lame but I'm talking about a child's play movie from 2019 fondly. So that's more than I could fucking say about these other movies outside of Halloween, which just got a shit together recently. So, uh, yeah, that's my best.
1: That's wild. Um, I didn't think that I was ever going to watch that remake, but you've compelled me to want to check it out. It's fun. Because I would not go
2: into it thinking it's a shot for shot remake of that, but that's what makes it fun. It's a recon, it's a, it's reconceptualizing, um, chucky for like a more modern like lens
1: very cool yeah so i'll have to check it out yeah i mean i i haven't seen that many of the child's play sequels i i I think i've seen it up to the ones that jennifer tilly is in like i think I've, i've seen like one or two of those um but yeah i haven't I haven't gone down that road quite as far as you have, so it's
2: more like yeah. interwoven to my childhood. I would say it's more—it's a nostalgic thing for sure. Um, and I love Brad. D- have I ever told you about when I met Brad Dorf? It's the most embarrassing thing in my life, and I think about it uh, more than I care to admit.
1: <laughs> no, that's amazing because he's one of my favorite. He's absolutely actors. one of my favorites. So we
2: st- st- stood in fucking line forever to meet Brad Dorf. Then we go up there and I was thinking the whole time. I was like, what do I want to bring? What do I want to bring up? So I brought up exorcist three. I was like, I want to bring up exorcist three. I've been like, I've been in my head. I'm like, a lot of people don't fucking bring up exorcist three. That'd be cool. And I bring it up and I was like, man, I love you in exorcist three and I'm a huge fan and all that. And he's like, look at what we have here. Like talking about my wife. And I was like, I was like, "What? Fucking dickhead!" No, nothing, nothing rude. I don't know rude as in like I'm fucking uh, talking to you, and you're like, "Whatever." So then he goes in for like a handshake, but I go in for like a hug, and then we do like this like back and forth like handshake hug routine, like an Evan Costello routine, and then it ends up in me bending down and headbutting him in the face. That's how it fucking ended. And then we took a picture, all of us together. And he has a fucking, like, not a knot, but he has like a red mark on his forehead from when I headbutted him in the picture. (laughs) It's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me.
1: It sounds like some yeah, just straight up like Three Stooges, Keystone Cops, sort of. I like rehearsed everything I wanted to say.
2: Then it went up in flames quickly, and then got worse as it went along. And then we just took the picture, and we uh, we were fucking out of there. And my my wife was like what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> that was like a fucking train wreck. What What the hell happened back there? I was like, I was trying to laugh. With it. Oops. I was like, did it go by really quickly? Because it felt like it lasted forever. She was like, it lasted forever. <laughs> so that's my. Oh, no, you've
1: never told me, me that. That's amazing. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I love, go- I love good uh, meeting famous people. Fuck up stories like that. It's really not even on him. Like
2: whatever. I, no, totally, no. That's it it what sounds it. like it was it's totally on, on you. buddy. it is on me.
1: <laughs> I, it's a. I fucking regret it. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Man, this is going to be tough because again, there's there's so many that I want to say are the best for this, but unlike with the last episode where you know we we touched upon what are considered the the traditionally best of the genre of the occult genre and we we're like you know what you know these have gotten plenty of discussion do we really need to give them any more you know limelight that's what we let's, yeah you know, that's let's, what we tackle with let's, yeah we're like let's talk about something that maybe doesn't get as much shine as some of these other movies so but i think i'm going to have to like I'm going to have to go with the traditional like the stayed path with this and say that my best is is and will always, always be the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's
2: great. That's actually what I had before I uh, was going to talk about Child's Play. And then I and then I uh, went into Child's Play oh. instead. So, um, yeah, that, I, I scratched that one out. But obviously that is like uh the foremost authority of fucking Teen Slashers, really.
1: Yeah, and and just in terms of I guess just visceral palpable horror that a movie can evoke. Well it really it stands alone because as much as I love all those other movies, I love Halloween, I love a nightmare in Elm Street, I love Friday the 13th. And there's plenty of other slashers on my list that I'm looking at right now. And the things that we talked about that I think are great. That one to me, that discussion I was just having about movies, whether they actually genuinely make me afraid or terrified. I would say that if there is one that comes close to giving me that feeling, it would be this movie because this movie in so many ways feels like it actually happened. You know, you watch this movie, if you had no reference points whatsoever to horror movies, to, you know, anything like that, to the history that some of these movies reference, this movie in particular, you would watch it and you would think, holy shit, like this actually happened. You know, it has a documentary feel to it. It's so gritty and raw of a movie. And, you know, even when you read about the making of it, you know. The actors and the crew, the actors and actresses and crew, they were put through abominable conditions to get this thing made. They really were. Um, Sweltering summer
2: in the middle of fucking dipshit Texas. Yeah.
1: Right. And you can feel it. Like, it comes through the movie. There's, like, there's such, like, a thin, like, there's such a thin penumbra or, like, just layer between the viewer and – what you're experiencing in the movie. Whereas with these other movies, you know, there's just, there's always, you know, if you watch it, you're always like, oh, this is just a movie, obviously, you know, but like there's that feeling that when you watch that movie, that like, you're like, you feel like you're there and like this shit could happen. And it's all done also with as little gore actually being presented on the screen. It's a lot of like really cool sleight of hand, You know, to give the impression to the the viewer that there is, you know, this barbarism and these horrific acts are being um, put upon these these hapless teenagers. So, yeah, I mean, I just I feel like I got to go with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, it's really the numero uno when it comes to this type of type of uh, type of movie.
2: Yeah. And you, that's an excellent point. It's, uh, it's deceivingly actually not very bloody and gory. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, like you said, uh, quote unquote, sleight of hand. Uh, Toby Hooper does a great job of making you think you swear to God, you see shit that you don't see, um, like brains and viscera and all that shit. And there's none, there's none of that. There's very little of it. Mm. Um, but that the, I, I, I would say it's probably the most iconic and the most frightening horror scene of all time is when that dude is, goes into the house for the first time and Leatherface emerges through that fucking giant, like sliding steel grated door or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And just gives him like one with the hammer, like how they would kill like a fucking pig or some shit. Right. Um, and then he's get, he gets dragged through, And he slams that fucking thing shut. Like the finality of Leatherface slamming that gate shut. You're like, oh shit, like that. Okay, like he's done. But then it's there. It's like a twofer because then Pam gets in there and she's like rolling around on the floor with all like the chicken feathers and the human bones and shit. And she's like halfway out the door and he gives her one of those paws around her fucking mid, like around her waist and she gets fucking dragged back into the house of horrors and then you realize what's happening to the original dude who got dragged down there because she's put on like the meat hook and that's the yeah. sleight of hand that you're talking about she gets put on that meat hook and you see nothing but you you just yeah. imagine what it would be like to be hoisted down onto one of those fucking things that's, yeah, one, of the, one, that's of those, uh, one of the best scenes uh, in all of horror
1: yeah So that's my best for sure. It's a great best. And I think
2: it does. So it came out four years before Halloween, but Halloween gets all the credit of being like the modern slasher uh, aesthetic and like the blueprint, I should say. Right. And I think it's I think it's simply because um, Halloween is far more palatable. And it's a, it's, it's a clean filmmaking process. And, uh, yeah. Texas chainsaw feels like a fucking faux snuff film. I mean, right. if you feel like you're watching shit that you shouldn't be watching, um, a lot of authors and, and, uh, people in the film industry talk about like being in the hands of a dangerous filmmaker. Like you feel yeah. like you're in danger. Like you feel like you're watching shit that you should not be watching. Um, and I think that's, Great, but it—I it, think Texas Chainsaw more than Halloween because it came comes four years earlier, really sets up the uh, the blueprint for the the modern teen slasher that would be replicated uh at nauseum.
1: Right, and in Halloween there is a yeah, it's like you said, there's a sophistication to it that is a little bit more palatable, whereas. Texas Chainsaw Massacre just definitely feels like it's like a renegade film, like it's like a fuck you to the world.
2: Yeah, but, and at the same rate, <laughs>
1: you know. Go ahead. No, that's how. I was, that's, that's how I was saying. At, end it, at so. the
2: same rate, you you also get the killer who is human, like we talked about off the top. You get the killer girl or the final girl. I mean, you mm-hmm. get all of the the all of the things that people talk about when it's like the cornerstones of. Slashers and it's all in it all culminates in Texas Chainsaw. Everything that came before it has elements of it, psycho and everything I I already mentioned, have elements that are influences. But Texas Chainsaw fucking does the goddamn thing. And then it's like, oh, this is what people people just want teenagers getting stalked and taken (laughs) down for their transgressions. This being I bet they were going to like a fucking leonard skinner con- concert or some shit <laughs> so yeah, yeah no i'm i'm with you on that full fullheartedly. heartedly
1: so there you go those are best um anything else before we we move on we wrap this up we we ra- we throw this one in a body bag uh nothing other
2: than to mention um that we're going to be talking about haunted houses uh haunted house movies uh next week Ooh
1: that's going to be super fun. That will be. Yeah. I'm very there's, I'm very that's excited. Another, that's I think that one
2: will be contained cuz I don't think there is yeah. that that many haunted house movies we could talk about, but uh there's a the ones that are great are fucking awesome and so we'll have we'll have a lot of meat on that sandwich as well.
1: That's great. Okay, so we're going to see you then uh next week talking about spook houses. <laughs> You're <laughs> crazy!
0: You don't gotta make us stop! Please! Do nothing. He's just a cook. Shut up, you bitch, hog. You let do all the work? He don't like it. Ain't that right? You're just a cook. Shut your mouth! You don't understand nothing. <laughs> I understand you ain't nothing. Me and him do all the work. I I just can't take no pleasure in killing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just some things you got to do. Don't mean you have to like it.
0: What are
1: you... This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for crafting our theme music for these special Halloween episodes. Um, If you're a band and you would like to submit music, uh, we would love to put it as our outro music. That's what we normally do with our uh, our regular episodes. Uh, You can email us at midnightflixpod at gmail.com and drop us a line you know say hi whatever you know say fuck you say you suck we just want to hear from you whatever (laughs) so that being said um i am adam walker and i'm signing off for my co-host patrick mitchell and we'll see you in the haunted house next week oh goodbye